This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. Good evening. It's good to see you all and good to be back with you guys teaching. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, We've been traveling through the Gospel of Mark for some time. We're going to continue to do such this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. We actually have a long section of Scripture today, 1 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and then one of the ushers will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Uh, Just keep it up, held up, and they'll see you. If you are getting the copy that we're giving to you, we're going to be on page 544. Page, page, page. I got real southern on y'all real quick. Don't, don't, don't trip. It, it'll come out every once in a while, all right? So uh, page 544 and then page 545. Okay, so here's what we're, we're doing. As you turn there, uh, Benjamin already mentioned that this month will be family month. And so one of the things that we want to do as your pastors is we want to meet with every married couple in the church um, from now until the end of the summer or January or next year, however long it takes for us to do that. And so if you go to the website, redemptionaz.com, you can sign up on a form there so that you can get some time with us to be able to just sit down, get to know you, uh, hear the story on how you tricked one another to marry in each other and, and be able to help you in whatever it is that God is doing in your marriage and your life. And so honestly, it is our uh, gift and um, actually joy to be able to sit down and meet with you guys. And so would you please take the time to do that so that we can get a chance to meet with the 200 or so couples that we have um, in our church throughout the day. We won't make this announcement at the 7 o'clock because most of them are dying to get married, and so we're just not going to mention it. Um, also, if you are a normal 7 o'clock person, we will no longer be having the 7 o'clock service from now until, I don't know, maybe next year. So uh, don't go anymore to the 7 o'clock service over at the service by uh, ASU because we will not be there for some time. So that's all I have for announcements. If you guys have your Bibles, Mark chapter 4. Here's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, again, since we have this long section of Scripture, 34 verses, this is not ideal. Um, I'd love to tell you that I wasn't the one who picked this, but uh, six months ago, I thought this might be a really good idea to teach these uh, 34 verses. This morning, I prayed, oh, Lord, help me with my unbelief. <laughs> so um, we're going to be able to walk through this um, in some time. And so for the sake of structure, here's what we're going to look at. Jesus is teaching about his kingdom. And in teaching about his kingdom, here's what he's saying. First, he shows us the invitation of the kingdom, and that's going to be the parable of the sower. And then from there, he's going to show us, um, when it comes to this kingdom, the comfort that we have in the kingdom. And that is understanding the growth that is inevitable through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll walk through that. And then lastly, the posture of the kingdom. What does it look like for us to be um, in God's kingdom in terms of the mustard seed? And so we'll look at the parable of the mustard seed. So if you see here, the invitation of the kingdom, the comfort of the kingdom, and then the posture of the kingdom. Before we get into God's word, would you guys bow your heads and pray with me, and um, let's go before the Lord and ask for his grace. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We take our hearts, um, we take all the things that we read when we open up the newspaper, everything we see that's going on in our world, in our country, in Baltimore, and even in our own hearts, God. Uh, The frustration, the brokenness, Lord, we see that your kingdom has come already in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and yet it's not fully here. And so as you live in the tension, Lord, would you give us your spirit to be able to walk by faith and not by sight? Lord, would you continue to extend your grace to us, Lord, that we may be your covenant people? God, as we open up the scriptures today, as we look at the many parables in which you teach Jesus, Lord, would you give us insight? Would you give us wisdom? God, would you give us ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms our lives? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, If you're with me, we'll start in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, 
So that he got into the boat, and he sat on it in the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, I want to pause there for a second. Um, If you walk away today and you go, what the heck did Ricardo talk about today? Because there's a lot we're going to talk about. Here's what you need to see. What Jesus in all these parables is communicating is he wants us to listen or hear. And those words are synonymous here. You're going to hear Jesus say again and again, he who has ears to hear, hear and listen. And when we say listen, this is not just um, listen to what I'm saying, but this is ultimately when it comes to God's word, that you receive God's word, that you believe his word, and then you obey God's word. So you receive, believe, believe, and obey God's word. So when it comes to listening or hearing, it's not just acknowledging you heard what he said, right? And our vernacular would be like this. If, like, if, someone, if you're talking to somebody and they're listening and they're feeling you, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Like, are you feeling me? I'm feeling you. You guys get it? No? You see, that's the problem. You're listening to me, but you're not feeling me, right? You, you, we we got to get there. So think of it this way. If I'm talking to my, my son, if I, I'm talking to my oldest son, I said, hey, Noah, will you, uh, will you kind of get up and close that door for me? And he says, Dad, I'm listening to you, but he doesn't get up and close that door. That means he's not really feeling me, metaphorically, right? But if he doesn't get up and close that door, he's going to be feeling me. <laughs> Literally, right? right? So there's a difference. What Jesus is talking about here is being able to embrace all that he says and all who he is, that we listen. And so this first point is an invitation to the kingdom, but the walk away, the action of all these parables, let's not get lost in all of these parables, is that we understand how to receive, believe, and obey the word of God. So here's the context. It says Jesus is now there's a, at a sea. There's a crowd of people around him. He wants to teach to them. He doesn't have the Britney Spears mic. And so he gets on a boat. He pushes back on the sea in order that his voice can be projected off the sea to the people. And he begins to teach them parables. And another word for parables is stories. And here's what he says. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the picture that Jesus gives us is, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There's like a farmer who's going out, the sower, and he's got all these seeds. And if you could just picture it, he's going around and he's, and he's throwing out the seeds. And I don't know how he threw out the seeds, right? He probably went like this. <laughs> right, right. Sort of. <laughs> he's throwing out seeds. And it wasn't like he was just flipping and doing this because they didn't know where the good soil was. Because there was limestone in the Palestinian land under everywhere, and soil would be on top of it, known as topsoil. So some of the soil was shallow, some of it was just rocky, some of it was actually really good. And so he's throwing out these seeds, and Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like this. I'm communicating parables that you may understand what the kingdom is like. And they're supposed to understand it. However, to clue, to begin to understand why he spoke in parables, Jesus begins to tell us in verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed, not, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. At first glance, what it seems like is Jesus is trying to like block people from understanding the gospel, and that's not it. 
He's speaking a few things here. Ultimately, um, he's not relaxing the tension at all about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So, so the disciples come to Jesus, those with the 12, meaning not just the 12 disciples, but even other people are going, Jesus, you told this incredible story about the sower. Sounds good. What the heck does it mean, right? And then he says, well, here's why I, t- I tell these parables. Because I am giving to you, if you read here again in verse 11, what he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, when it talks about the secret, maybe in your translation, it may say the mystery of God. It's not mystery and we think about our mystery novels. It's something that has been unfolding that ultimately finds its yes or ultimately finds its amen in the work of Jesus. That in this unfolding plan that we begin to read about from Genesis throughout the Old Testament, how God is revealing himself and his character and his purposes, that ultimately where he's guiding and taking human history is in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to you, it's been revealed. And what he's saying is that the essence of salvation, it's not that the kingdom is something to be attained. It's not that the kingdom is something that you can work for, but the kingdom of God is a gift. And so the essence of salvation is not that we work for something, but God gifts it to us. It's a gift. We don't earn it. We don't earn it by being the right people or or being the type of people who would become Christians. We earn it because of God's gift. And he says this. He goes, to you. And who is he talking to are those who are willing to follow him. Those who are willing to say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. My heart is longing for you. He says, to you, it's been given a gift. But he says, "There's there's the other side of this coin. He says, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Here's what he's saying. There's insiders and there's outsiders. And we don't like that language. We don't like the language that there's winners and losers, right? We want everyone to get a trophy, everyone to get Skittles, whatever it is in our world, right? It doesn't work like that. He says insiders and outsiders. Now, In Jesus' day, it was a clear line of who was in and who was out when it came to the Jewish religion. The insiders were the Essenes, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, good Jewish men and women who grew up going to the synagogue. And the outsiders were the tax collectors, the prostitutes, Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jewish person, and so forth. But as we've seen so far in the, in the ministry of Jesus, is he blurs those lines. In fact, oftentimes, it's those who are considered outsiders become insiders. And those who are considered insiders have become outsiders. And so when, it, when he talks about insiders and outsiders, he's talking about hearts that are able to receive the word of God, that are able to hear him, that are able to listen, that are able to embrace him, that are able to follow Jesus, to receive, believe, and obey his word. Those particular people, he says, they are in because they've been given a gift And what he's talking about here, this is God's sovereign grace. It is a gift that God gives us that we cannot conjure that up, and he gives it to us. And on the flip side, he says there are those, when they hear the parables, that it confirms the condition of their heart, that they don't want Jesus. And he's saying some, the parable, to those who follow him, it's like a window into understanding what God is like. And to others, it's confirmation. And so he quotes here from Isaiah lest they hear and believe. He's saying, this is what he told Isaiah. And if you go back and you read Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah has this interesting moment where he's in the presence of God. He repents of his sin. God meets him and he overhears this conversation of God saying, you know, we got something to do. Who shall we send? Who's gonna go for us? And he's like this new Christian, right? And if you guys are new Christians, you know what I mean? You'll do anything, right? You don't even ask, where am I going? Africa, Lord, anywhere, Tucson. (laughs) I'll go anywhere, right? And so he, he, Isaiah hears that, and he goes, God, whatever you want, I'll do. He goes, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tell everybody about me, and here's the catch. No one's going to listen. God, is there anything else I can do? (laughs) Right? 
So he's saying this is what's happening now. It's being fulfilled. Jesus is coming. He's revealing the kingdom. The invitation is going out, but not everybody's feeling him. People are listening, but they're not embracing. And then he begins to explain this parable and the invitation. He says this in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. He says, as the word of God, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, the new life and hope that we have in Christ Jesus and only in Christ Jesus, that this is presented and it's given to people. But what happens is because of unbelief, this, this soil here represents unbelief. And, and, and some of us in this room, we're there. Maybe not anti-spiritual, but maybe anti-Jesus, not pro-Jesus. That when it comes to this, that we on a human level would say we want nothing to do with Jesus. And what Jesus is saying on a spiritual level, that Satan himself begins to remove and take away the word. He goes, that, that's where some people are. And then he continues here in verse 16. He says, and these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And some of us know people like that. Some of us, we look at our own lives and go, maybe that's me. And so with this topsoil, there'd be some soil that would be really shallow, and the seed would go in, and then it would begin to grow up rather fast. Um, and, and then eventually, because of sun and so forth, it would just scorch away because it had no root. Spiritually speaking, there are some of us that we know people, and we ourselves are like this, that we embrace Jesus, we become all excited. You've met that person. Immediately, everything about their life changes. Everything about their Facebook changes. They start quoting scripture. Um, they, they send you the scripture text. They start getting tattoos, Jesus shirts, Jesus shoes, everything that you've ever even heard of, right? They're just all about it. And then, then because of the pressures of being a Christian, what it really means to embrace and follow Jesus Christ, they fade to black, and they're, they're kind of gone. And Jesus says that, that, that there are people that are like that. And then he goes on to the next soil, and I would tell us this. This is where I think if we're going to slip, this is the soil that we're going to slip into as a people. Um, pick up with me in verse 18. And it says, Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Um, here's why I say this is us, um, how we can get here. Because we are easily distracted people. We are always connected. I mean, how often are we even away from our phones? I mean, we come to church, we, we got to let everybody know, hey, I'm at church right now. Check it out, I'm going to take a picture of the communion elements. Psh! right? I'm going to post this over here. Like, we're constantly connected, easily distracted. And it says, it's the deceitfulness of riches. And it, it, deceitfulness, by the, by the very means of that word, meaning you don't even know that it's creeping in on you. Because most people you talk to, most people aren't saying, well, what are you about in this life? I'm trying to get paid, bro. <laughs> like, that's my mission. Most people won't say that. But it is the deceitfulness of these things that begin to take us away. It is the cares of this world. You know what the cares of this world are? They're normal things that we ought to care about. It's family, it's our spouses, it's our children, it's our future spouses, 
It's our boyfriend. If our, it's our girlfriend. It's are we going to get this done? Are we going to be able to provide for this? Um, some of you are going to graduate this week from college. It's going to be the most exciting day for your parents. <laughs> and then the rest of your life sucks. And so you're just trying to, trying to just figure, <laughs> figure it out, right? Like what's going to happen? It's the cares of this world that begin to choke out the word, right? In our, in our own life, in my own life. I'm not, I'm not exempt from this because when I read this, I know how easy it is to care for good things, my family, really good things, and then make that the main thing, that ultimately I don't trust in God. I was telling them earlier services this. Um, I trust God when it comes to my wife, my marriage, and when it comes to me. You know why? Because God has saved us. We, we love Jesus. My wife loves Jesus. It's amazing. Um, sometimes, sometimes I wonder that when I'm not walking in step with the truth of the gospel, does God care about my kids as much as I do? Right? And some of you guys, you guys are going, I don't get it. When you have kids, immediately when that, when that kid comes out, do I hold the head this way? Is it like this? Is it like this? Are they supposed to be breathing? Are they not supposed to be breathing? Right? Right? When I first had Noah, I, was, I never really had fear. And all of, I woke up probably every 20 seconds. Is he breathing? Is he breathing? Is he alive? And I was like, he's alive. And if you keep waking me up, you're not going to be alive. And so, and part of it is, too, you start caring for the things of your kids, right? And so the past four months, we've been trying to figure out what school our kids going to go to next year. You know what? I hate the way our system is in Arizona. And not the educational system, the fact that you have so many options, right? Why do you have to have so many options? Like, remember when we grew up? I remember it was my mom was like, listen, boy, the bus comes right here. You get on the bus at this time. It's going to take you away, right? <laughs> You're going to get back on that bus. It's going to bring you back. It's going to do that Monday through Friday. Got it? Got it. Done. Now it's like homeschool, public school, alternative school, charter school, Christian school, don't go to school. Yes, right? That, I mean, it's just so many things that begin, to, you just easily drift away of saying, is my eyes fixed upon Jesus? Do I realize that he's sovereign? And here's why my fear comes out. Well, my fear comes out is this, is I know what God had to allow in my life to get me to where I am in knowing him. And you know what? I don't want that for my kids. I want them just to know him. Can we get all of this stuff out of here? And so they could just know him. And I'm not trusting in him. And then so what happens is we become, we try to play God. We try to play the Holy Spirit with our spouses, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our family members. And we try to bring them to Jesus when that could never bring them to Jesus. Only the life and love of God can. And while we're doing this, we're totally missing out on the very one in whom we're trying to get our friends and our family to. And that's none other than Jesus. So he says, this particular soil, it begins to choke out the word. So the invitation goes out, Satan takes it away. The invitation goes out, persecution takes away. The invitation goes out again, and it says here, it's choked out, because literally what would happen as the, um, the seed would begin to grow, it was the thorns around it that would suck the life out of what's happening here. And how many of us are having the spiritual life sucked out of us by the mundane things of our life, the daily things of life that begin to just distract us from the life and word of Jesus? So... I want to point something out here. When it comes to these first three soils, when it comes to the word here, we talked about that here in itself is receiving, believing, and obeying God's word. Um, there's a tense here that says ultimately the way that it's communicating here is that when it came to these first three soils, um, soils they heard it, but it was like in one ear and out the other, meaning it was a one-time act. People heard it and went one ear out the other. You guys know what that's like? When you're talking to somebody and you can tell they're not even listening, right? They're not listening to me at all. You guys know what? I know what it's like. Um, so, uh, so, example of this is, so 
we had a family reunion three years ago. My side of the family, we all got together. We stayed in one big cabin. It was a blast. So my aunt called me and said, hey, we want to do this again. We want to do it this summer. We want everything to plan around your schedule, and we're going to do it for you. And whatever you guys say, what week works for you, we'll plan around. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty nice. And mainly because we have to travel the furthest because they're all in Mississippi and Georgia, and we're all going to go to Florida. And so I talked to Holly, knowing that she has this internship that she can't get out of over the summer. And I said, hey, what are the dates that are good for you? Give me some dates that actually work. And so she gives me the dates that work. She goes, June 20th to 25th is what I heard her say was those are the days that work. And so I called my aunt and said, hey, these are the dates that work. And she goes, you sure? Because once we put this money down, there's no going back. I said, I'm positive. I already talked to Holly. Trust me, this is good. Can't wait to see you. Get some T-shirts. It's cracking, right? And so she gets the dates. Then I tell Holly, and Holly goes, why did you choose those dates? I'm like, because you said those are the dates that I can go. She goes, no, I said those are the dates that I can't go. And I looked at Holly. I said, listen, you got to listen better, Holly. I, I don't know. Uh, <sighs> And I hosed it. I mean, I totally heard her say, I thought I heard her say, I can go. She shows me the email of which I had emailed her. Me and my wife don't normally communicate through email, just to let you know. But we emailed her. (laughs) I usually text her in the house like, hey, girl. (laughs) Never mind. And so so there's, there's there's this sense where it came in one ear and out the other. And now my wife's not going to be able to go on the family vacation with us, right? And don't go, oh, right? The first service was like, oh, and I know how you nice Christian people are. You're like, you know what? We'll get you a vacation. We don't need a vacation. We do need a Lexus, though. No, I'm just <laughs> so, there, so, so when it came to this family vacation last time, I got a picture here since this is family month. Um, that's all of us in Tennessee at a cabin. Remember that Sesame Street? Somebody looks like they don't belong. <laughs> right? <laughs> Parts of me, Holly's going, oh, you know what, uh, you know what, it's okay that I might not go, right? Every, t- every time we look at this picture, I always say, Holly, you know what, now you know what it feels like. So, some of you guys are going to get that tomorrow. So, when it, when it comes to hearing in one ear and out the other, that's what these first soils were. The invitation, in one ear, out the other. However, the tense changes in verse 20 here. It becomes to what is known as present tense, meaning something that has happened and is that continually happens. And it says this, but those who were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Jesus is saying those who actually hear, those who are feeling it, those who receive and believe and obey God's word, to them a miracle happens. A farmer in that day if they got 30-fold, that'd have been like, that's great. 60-fold would have been like something incredible happened. 100-fold were like, that's an absolute miracle. And what Jesus is saying, that salvation in itself, this invitation, is a miracle. The invitation to the kingdom comes through the spoken word of the gospel. It is none other than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we receive this by faith. It's this gift that we just accept. And that, that we do this ultimately in embracing God and giving our entire life to him. And in fact, if you read with me again here in, in verse 20, it says the word accept there. It says the swords of the ones who hear the word and accept it. The word accept literally means to make home, to welcome in. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this in your life, that if someone has welcomed you into their home or you've welcomed somebody in their home, and not the welcome where you're here for a couple hours, but then now it's time to go home. Like, you know, you know the phrase there, like, you don't got to go home, but you got to get the, out of here, right? You know, there, this is, you're here. 
So me and my family were going through some mad issues when I was a senior in high school. There was a family in our neighborhood who literally welcomed me in. They gave me a key. They gave me a place to stay. I mean, I was a part of their family. What Jesus is saying here, that those who receive the invitation of the kingdom, um, those who not just hear that Jesus died for my sins, but embrace the gospel, those who understand God's grace in their life as a gift, that they actually invite, they welcome Jesus to take a permanent resident in their life. That the gospel is not something, as Tim Keller says, that's the ABCs of Christianity. That's something that we get and we move on to something else, but it becomes the A through Z. We never get away from the person and work of Jesus, that he takes over in our life. He doesn't just come in to rearrange a few things, but he comes in, he tears down, he rebuilds, and he begins to transform and make in us something very new by the power of his spirit and by the power of his word. And, and, and that word begins manifest ultimately and embodied this kingdom and this invitation by the person of Christ. And Jesus communicates that in this next parable as the invitation continues. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying it again. He's saying, is a lamp supposed to be underneath a bed? He goes, absolutely not. And what Jesus is referring to is he's saying, the reason why I'm here is to show forth the way into the kingdom. That the invitation is a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's embodied none other than the person of Jesus. You cannot know God unless you know Jesus. You cannot have life unless you have Jesus. That your life is completely filled with darkness unless you have the light of the world who is in Jesus. This is not something that's sparked by just having friends. This is not something that's sparked by having the right circumstances. This is something that is set ablaze only by the light of Jesus Christ. And, and the only way that we have that light is, again, in embracing Jesus in this invitation. And what Jesus says again now is there's two types of people who come to Jesus. Two types of people who accept this invitation or deny this invitation. And he says this, verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. He's saying that word again, hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What he's saying is this, when it comes to this invitation, there'll be people, you know what, think of it like this, like in, in our cell phones, right? We get a cell phone, and if you have an iPhone or something like that, it usually gives you options, um, the first is you can answer it, like somebody's calling, you see it who's calling you, some of you go, uh-uh, <laughs> right? Um, you can either answer it and say hello, or you can ignore it, right? Or you can say, remind me later. What's interesting about that is I think when it comes to the gospel, many of us are there. We're, we're, some of us, our hearts are there, we're going, I'm just ignoring it. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. When Jesus says to them, those who don't have it, what they do have will be taken away. And it's just a metaphor of saying you're already living in darkness by your own volition or choice or free will or whatever you want to call it. You are acknowledging that you don't want a part of the light. You don't want the invitation. You don't want to be a part of the family. You don't want to be a part of the kingdom, though Jesus in his love is inviting you by his spirit. Um, you ignore it. There's some of us, we answer it. We answer it. That we answer the call of God in our life by the Holy Spirit, that we do that. And then what he says is to those who answer it, to see the light, um, more will be given to them. The person that used to mentor me and disciple me used to ask me this question. I remember the first time he asked me, he says, hey, how much of Jesus do you have? And that's kind of a weird question, right? You ever, you, ever, you know, uh, how much do I have? Let's see, carry the one. Like, how do you answer that, right? And he would say, all right, I know how much you have. And I said, what's that? He goes, as much as you want. What he's communicating is, 
how much of Jesus do you have is as much as you want. You can pursue him and pursue him. And the more you pursue him, the more he begins to unfold more understanding of who he is. You can't exhaust the knowledge of God. Sometimes we, we think once we get to heaven and we see Jesus, we're going to know everything. No, we won't. We don't get to heaven and become God. He's the one who's all-knowing. All of us being in heaven will be continuing to know and know and know and know this love of God that surpasses all understanding and all knowledge. He says to those who begin to seek, those who accept <clears throat> the invitation of Christ Jesus, that see him as a light, more will be given to him. And then yet there's another option on the phone, and it's remind me later. Some of you in that phrase where you're like, oh, remind me later. Um, what Jesus is saying ultimately in all the parables, there may not be a later um, the remind me later is no different than saying ignoring. There's essentially two options to this invitation. You accept, you follow Jesus, let him take permanence in your life as your Lord and your Savior, or you ignore. If you accept, more will be given to you in an understanding of who Christ is. If you ignore, your situation does not change, you fall further and further away, and darkness is still around you because you don't have the light because the light is only found in Jesus. And so the first point is the invitation of the kingdom is in Christ Jesus. Our response is to hear. And the way we hear, again, is to receive, to believe, and obey God's word. Amen? The second point is the comfort of the kingdom. Because if you're like me, <clears throat> you hear those parables, and you go, rocky soil, that could be me. Because I'm not really sure where I'm at in the Lord. Or, shallow soil, that could be me because I do have these waves in my life where I'm all for Jesus and then I'm not necessarily for Jesus. Um, or it could be the different type of soils that things in my life are choking out the word. Like every morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to set aside some time. I'm going to read my word and then I get up in the morning and something else happens and something else happens. And you know, I'm going to do it later today and something else happens. You know, I'm going to pray tonight and you go, Lord, oh, it's morning again, right? And all of a sudden, the cares of this world begin to choke out the word. Okay, you, you see that. Um, or you've had seasons where you just feel like you were distant from God. And all the promises of God that he says, a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, you're starting to question, is that anything for me? There's not a Christian in this room that has never asked the question to themselves or to God, am I really saved? If Jesus were to come back right now, Lord, would, would I be a part of yours because of some doubt in your life because of persistent sin in your life or something that you've had that moment of saying, am I, am I his? We, we, we've all been there, right? Because we've also had seasons where we felt like we were so close to God and we want to get back to those seasons. Like, we've been there. Like, you're just on the mountaintop. You feel like, man, I'm so close to Jesus. I'm like fist bumping him right now, right? And then there's moments where we feel like we're distant. We can't hear him. We're far away from him. Um, and I believe this next parable gives us the comfort of the kingdom, ultimately from the king, and talking about his particular growth and how he grows and talking about his sovereign love for us. Read with me in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as a man should scatter a seed in the ground, and he sleeps and arises at night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. And the earth produces by itself first a blade, and then an ear, then a full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Here he's talking about the kingdom. He goes, the kingdom is like, again, he gives this agrarian picture, that a man goes out, a farmer, and he sows. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't know how, but there's pr progress, that there's growth. That's what theologians call progressive sanctification. And that is the power was not in the ability of the man to sow the seed. The power was in its seed in itself. That it is the gospel that brings about transformation. It is God's sovereign hand in our life that he who began a good work will complete it. 
that if you begin to receive the invitation, that in itself was an act of God. And if you receive it truly and faithfully in your life, it is the same act of God that will sustain you, even in your doubts and even in your moments of brokenness and sin. That it's the same sovereign God who will carry you home, that you will see Jesus face to face. And the comfort that it brings here is the type of grace that we believe that the Bible teaches here. And the farmer comes out and he goes, man, how did this even happen? I have no idea how this happened. Now, the picture that I showed you of my family, in the middle was my grandfather. And my grandfather does not speak English. I don't know what he speaks, to be honest with you. It's a southern dialect, off a of southern dialect, deep woods, Mississippi, um, that only people understand is my grandma. Um, but what I know about my grandpa, we just, we don't even, we just go, yes, sir, no, sir, mm-hmm, yes, that's it. What I know about him, though, is um, on that trip, he had a pair of khakis. It's the first time in my life I've ever seen him with khakis. He wears Wrangler jeans every day, high starch, all starch. Um, yeah, there he is. He's pissed. He does not want to take a picture. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and what I know about him is he's farmed his entire life. That's what he does. That's all he knows how to do. Two things I can say that, that are attributes of him. Trust and patience. Trust and patience. Because he does the same thing over and over again, and he knows nothing grows unless God does something. The picture here is when it comes to our personal walks with Jesus, back to my children, when it comes to my children, when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to your marriage, your children, your future kids, whatever you have in your life, trust and patience. That when God comes in and we accept God and we say, God, it's all yours, we don't no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to him. And the promise is, and the comfort is of the kingdom is, is as we begin to trust and let the gospel take deep roots in our life, that God will grow us. In fact, if you read this parable again, um, in verse 28, it says the earth produces by itself. The language behind that literally means automatic. It's where we get the word automatic, meaning it's going to happen. It is inevitable. That growth in Jesus Christ is inevitable. You may, you may not be able to see it. You may not be able to experience it. It's like your own growth. No one ever said, man, I feel like I'm growing right now, right? No, but you've measured yourself at some point, and you go, oh, I have grown. Um, this, this growth is automatic, and it communicates a comfort to us of the kingdom of God's grace. Let me communicate this type of grace. Um, I did this with the 7 o'clock service a few weeks ago, and I think now you guys are ready for it. Um, Bear with me. There's two different types of grace. There's monkey grace and there's cat grace. Don't keep tracking. Trust me, we're going somewhere with this. First, there's monkey grace. And if you've ever seen the monkey, the baby monkey, what does the baby monkey do? The baby monkey has to hold on to the mommy monkey because the mommy monkey is swinging from tree to tree to tree, and the little baby monkey is just holding on with this wee little strength, right? And wherever the mommy monkey goes, he's got to hold on. If there ever comes a moment where he's getting weak and weak and weak and weak and weak, and finally he lets go, woo, bye-bye, little monkey. <laughs> Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's a great illustration. Um, and and on, the, on, the, on, the, on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, you have cat grace. And here's what cat-like grace is like. And if you live in Tempe, you know what cats are like. And you usually never use cats and grace in the same language. Um, so cats, what the mama cat will do is take the baby kitten and snatch up that little kitten. And wherever the mommy cat wants to go, she goes, and the little kitten is always uh, connected to the mommy kitten. And if the uh, mommy cat and if the little baby kitten gets tired and gets weak, and it never falls away because it never is about his strength. It's not about his little grip. It's not about what he can do. It's ultimately his mama that has a grip on him. But he's never going to be let go because that mommy loves that little baby. When it comes to the grace that the Bible teaches, no matter how low we sink, no matter how low our doubts go, no matter how persistent and even sometimes consistent in particular sins that we feel like we are in, that if we are truly children of God, 
that God will never let us go. It's not about our strength and how we can hold on to the bigness of God, but it's about his strength and how the bigness of his love holds on to us. And what Jesus is communicating when it comes to this kingdom, when the gospel is planted in our life, Jesus Christ, that when he is planted in our life and he's taken permanence in our life, that he who begin a good work, it is him that's going to complete it. He's not saying he who begin a good work got you on a good start, now it's up to you. No, he that begin a good work, he that planted the gospel, who the, he that opened your eyes to see, dug out your ears that you can hear and receive and believe and obey the word of God, it is that same one that's ultimately going to complete what he started in your life. And that brings us comfort. Not the comfort when we're in the mountaintop experience, when we feel like we're distant. But our God himself, it says, I will never let you go. Amen? So we have the invitation of the kingdom to be received by faith. And that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have the comfort of the kingdom that God himself will grow his kingdom. He does it through the power of the gospel that is not up to us. And then lastly here, and we'll, we'll be brief here, is the, is the posture of the kingdom. And this is the last parable, uh, parable of the mustard seed, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds in the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So what we have here is this mustard seed, and it's, it's a hyperbole that Jesus is speaking in and saying, this small seed seems very insignificant, very obscure. And yet over a period of time, it grows into one of the biggest plants or the biggest bushes around, and it provides places and home that the birds can come and make their nests. It, it, when we understand a posture, it's how we respond and how we live in the kingdom. That Christians, those of us in this room would say we're followers of Jesus, the last thing we should ever be marked by is arrogance. The, the last thing we should ever be marked by is, is how we can look people, get people to look at us. Unfortunately, that's where most of our lives are. Like, we spend our entire lives trying to make a name for ourselves. We spend our entire lives trying to get people to look at us. Um, I mean, just think about it in simple ways. Those of you who have a Facebook, how often have you put something on Facebook that you thought was funny or good or worthy of attention, only to come back 10 minutes later, like, how many? Oh, I don't even, nobody noticed that. I thought that was good, right? And, and you, you want to know, like, did something happen? Let me call Zuckerberg. Hey, did you, did you get that out? I mean, there's a sense where we want, we want people to see what we've accomplished or what we've done. We want them to acknowledge it. We want people to see. However, when it comes to our, the kingdom of God, we've got to understand the kingdom of God is always going to first and foremost be about the king. And when you see what the king is like, he was very, very obscure. That his posture was very, very humble. The author and creator of all history decides to enter into this world. And how does he do it? He does it in the most humble, the most obscure way. He enters into this world through a nobody virgin woman born in Naz Nazareth. And the only thing we know about Nazareth when we hear about it is like people say, do, does anything good come from Nazareth? Like we've never even heard of this place. And then when he begins to set up his camp for his ministry and begins to announce the kingdom of God and God's sovereign universal plan to redeem and save all of creation through Jesus, he doesn't set up in, in the equivalent of a Scottsdale or a Tempe or a Phoenix. Like he goes to a place where nobody wants to be. He goes to the equivalent of, of Gila Bend, we said, right? It's a place where someone's on the way somewhere else or on the way back from somewhere else. Like no one would go, okay, I'm going to start something big, Gila Bend, right? But he goes to Galilee, Right? And then as he's teaching these parables, he's in Galilee with normal, everyday people. Very, very obscure. The God of this universe. And yet those who follow him, we spend all of our time trying to make this name for ourselves. The mustard seed in itself 
seems it's very insignificant. We're afraid that if we don't make a name for ourselves, nobody will. If we don't pat ourselves on the back or the chest or whatever, nobody else will. But when we begin to embrace all of who we are in Christ Jesus, we understand his acceptance of us and that all we need is his acceptance of us. And the way that we are truly accepted and invited into the kingdom of God is all we need is need. And we just need to accept his acceptance of us. That the love that we really, really needed, we already have in Christ Jesus, which we can never lose. The one thing to fear would be ultimate rejection of God, which we never have to fear anymore because we have it, um, complete forgiveness in Christ Jesus. That we have all that we need now in response to Jesus Christ. Now we can live into that kingdom. And our posture should be a posture of obscurity, should be a posture of humility. And when you begin to look at the mustard seed, what happens with the mustard seeds? It grows and grows and grows, and it becomes a tree or a plant or a bush that has provision for others. In fact, if you read here, um, at the very end of this, this parable, verse 32, And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in their shade. The Old Testament prophets, when they would allude to talking about bushes and that, that birds can make their nests too, it was always an illusion of God embracing all people. That he was, his plan to bring not only Jews, but also Gentiles in. And what Jesus does in the conclusion of this series of these parables is saying the invitation um, that when it comes to those who are in and those who are not, it's not a Jew or a Gentile thing. It's those who are ready to embrace, to receive, believe, and obey the word of God. And the light that's revealed in Christ Jesus And that the comfort that we have of this kingdom is that God himself, through his sovereign grace, that he has us. It's not about us having him. That he's drawn us to himself through his perfect love. And that when we embrace this kingdom, when we embrace Jesus Christ, that what we are and who we are as a posture of people who are constantly looking to him, humbling ourselves before a mighty sovereign God, and that understanding the blessings that we have is that we become a people that exist for others. A people that include others, all nations and all tribes, people who are not like us, that we extend this good news of Jesus Christ in word and in deed, that we may provide for the people around us, that they may have a home in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be welcomed into his family. That we extend this grace in all areas of our particular lives. And we do it to people who everybody would say around us that those are people who are not most likely to become Christians because we know at the very essence of the gospel, what it teaches us is we were not people who are most likely to become Christians but we are people who received a gift in Jesus Christ. So we accept the invitation. And at the very heart of it, like I said, it's very close. If you walk away today, you go, the heck did he talk about? The one walk away is that when it comes to the word of God, the way we hear, not in one ear and out the other, the way that we receive the invitation, the way that we see the light and live in the light, the way that we are comforted, the way that we have a posture is by receiving, believing, and obeying the word of God as seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of God in our lives. God, we ask that we would truly be a community of people that cares of the people that are not in this room, the people who don't look like us, vote like us, act like us, that we would extend the invitation to welcome them in the way that you've extended the invitation to us. God, that we would understand that we can't get the soils right in our life, but the power is ultimately in the gospel. Help us to look to Jesus and to trust in him, to hold firm to his words as you, as you hold firmly to us through the power of your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we acknowledge our weaknesses. We acknowledge our doubts. We acknowledge our fears. But more than anything, Lord, we acknowledge that we desire to be like you and to look like you individually and collectively. God, so would you stir our affections for you that we may follow you into this world, that you would be our light, that you'd be our comfort, and we would be your people. It's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen.